Good morning. It's Sunday, September 27th. Welcome to this online resource for at-home spiritual growth during our transition from pandemic stay-at-home orders to resuming public worship in an outdoor setting at Redeemer Lutheran Church. You'll be able to follow along to the service as it appears on your screen, or you can download a PDF of today's service folder and print it out at your home printer and follow along that way. I wish you God's blessings today as you grow from his word. Hasten to save me, O God. O Lord, come quickly to help me. Praise the Lord from the heavens. Praise him in the heights above. Sing to the Lord a new song, his praise in the assembly of his faithful people. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty heavens. of the day is Psalm 96. Sing to the Lord, praise his name, proclaim his salvation day after day. 
Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous deeds among all peoples. Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. Let the heavens rejoice, let the earth be glad. Let the sea resound and all that is in it. Let the fields be jubilant and everything in them. Then all the trees of the forest will sing for joy. For he comes to judge the world in righteousness and the peoples in his truth. The reading is the Gospel according to Matthew chapter 22, verses 15 to 22. Obey the government and worship God. Then the Pharisees went out and laid plans to trap Jesus in his words. They sent their disciples to him along with the Herodians. Teacher, they said, we know you are a man of integrity and that you teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. You aren't swayed by men because you pay no attention to who they are. Tell us then, what is your opinion? Is it right to pay the imperial tax to Caesar or not? But Jesus, knowing their evil intent, said, You hypocrites! Why are you trying to trap me? Show me the coin used for paying the tax. They brought him a denarius, and he said to them, Whose portrait is this, and whose inscription? Caesar's, they replied. Then Jesus said to them, Give to Caesar what is Caesar's, and to God what is God's. When they heard this, they were amazed, so they went away and left him. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, there are only 37 days to go until the election. But it's not just any election, of course. This is the most important election of our lifetimes, the most important election in the history of the American Republic, or at least so we've been told. In fact, I think that's what we were told about the 2016 election, the Flight 93 storm the cockpit or else election, the win or else fascism comes to America election. And you can call me crazy, but I have a hunch we might hear the same thing about the election that comes after this one. It makes me wonder if the way people talk about elections these days is an indication of just how important politics has become for so many people. It seems more and more are convinced that if the wrong side wins, it's not just disappointing, it's deadly. So let me ask, what do you think will happen this November? What will you do in light of the outcome, and more importantly, What should you do? Now, you might think of church as the last place you'd hear questions like those, let alone some proposed answers. In the minds of many people, the church should never, ever talk about politics. And in general, I would agree. God has never intended for the church to be an arm of the state or a chaplaincy to a particular political party. The church should never talk politics, except when it should. That is to say, except when Jesus talks about politics. 
You see, what we talk about on Sundays is always based on what Jesus talked about in his ministry. And in today's gospel from Matthew chapter 22, Jesus talks politics. He talked politics in a time and a place when politics had become everything and politics appeared everywhere. Just as we're hearing his words in a time and place where politics have become everything and appeared everywhere. Yet in spite of that saturation, Jesus still manages to do something remarkable. He manages to talk about politics in a way that sounds different. This isn't what you'll hear on CNN or Fox or MSNBC. These aren't the hot takes your friends and family are posting on Facebook. No, today Jesus helps us tune out the noise and dial in on the wavelength he wants us to be on. So if you're expecting a message today that conveniently affirms half of what the country believes while dismissing and disproving what the other half believes, then you'll be disappointed. Today you'll find that when it comes to politics, Jesus refuses to pick a side. Now this conversation about politics recorded in Matthew's Gospel wasn't actually initiated by Jesus. It was his opponents, the Pharisees, who were out to play the game of gotcha that we're so familiar with in our political climate today. They did this by raising a question about paying taxes to Caesar. This is what they said to Jesus. After flattering him, they said, tell us, what is your opinion? Is it right to pay the imperial tax to Caesar or not? Now you have to realize that this tax was the imperial tax, a particularly offensive tax to the Jews. It was a flat tax levied on every single person in Judea, regardless of their income, regardless of anything. And the revenue generated from the tax was sent directly back to Rome, all of it. That means none of it was reinvested into the local community in any way. Not only that, the coin used to pay the tax was designed to communicate exactly what the Romans thought of their supreme leader. It communicated that Caesar is Lord, that Caesar is a son of the gods, a divine ruler. So maybe you can see already the trap the Pharisees have set for Jesus. If Jesus says, yes, it's right to pay the imperial tax to Caesar, then he instantly loses his reputation and standing among the Jewish people who had been so eagerly listening to his preaching and teaching. But if Jesus says, no, it's wrong to pay the imperial tax to Caesar, then the Pharisees will promptly report him to the Roman authorities as an insurrectionist and then have him thrown into prison. Either way, the Pharisees get what they want, a way to sideline Jesus, to silence him. But Jesus refuses to pick a side. And in the process, we see one of the most insightful moments of his entire ministry. It left even his opponents speechless. Matthew tells us that Jesus replied to them by asking to see one of the imperial coins, which the Pharisees just so happened to have on hand. It's interesting, isn't it, how the Pharisees were apparently happy to fill their pockets with the currency they so publicly maligned. Matthew then records the rest of the exchange this way. Jesus asked them, Whose image is this? And whose inscription? Caesar's, they replied. Then Jesus said to them, So give back to Caesar what is Caesar's, and to God what is God's.
See, the Jewish people viewed the question of the imperial tax as an either-or, all-or-nothing choice. They could either dishonor God and obey the law, or they could honor God and disobey the law. But Jesus made it clear that there was room for both, to give to government what belongs to government and to give to God what belongs to God. You see, contrary to popular ideas in America, government is not a merely human invention that everyone is just free to set up or take down however and whenever they want. No, the Bible says that human government is established by God. Government is meant to be a representative of God, to be his arm in action to maintain peace, preserve order, and uphold justice in society. God established governing authorities to provide the circumstances that foster and support human flourishing. And as a result, God wants us to give government what we rightfully owe to it. Honor for its institutions, respect for its officials, and obedience to its laws. And that includes giving government the financial support it requires to do what God has established it to do. But it's not so easy to do that, is it? It's so easy to find all sorts of reasons why we don't owe honor and respect and obedience to what God has established. It's very easy to figure reasons why we don't even owe the money that God asks us to pay to support these things. In fact, we, have, we seem to have two carefully crafted political perspectives in our country, both designed to help us avoid fully giving to government what God says we owe. On the one hand, there's the kind of person who says there is almost no role for government, that government is not the solution to our problems, but that government is the problem. The less government we have, the better, they say. Just leave us alone and we'll figure it out ourselves. Yet every day we have to admit this kind of person wakes up and happily profits from the roads built and maintained by the government. They light and heat their homes with utilities managed by the government. They send their kids to schools and universities founded by the government. And they sleep in the warm blanket of security provided by agents of the government. But on the other hand, there is the kind of person who says there is always room for more and more government that the government should intervene in as many areas of life as possible. The more government, the better, they say. This kind of person tends to say our market economy and our federalist system, it's irredeemable, it can't be fixed, it must be torn down and replaced with something that magically and finally, once and for all, can right every wrong and solve every problem. Yet every day, this kind of person enjoys the benefits of All the inventions the American market has produced and all the comforts the American market has made possible. If they're in trouble, they'll pick up the phone and call 911 and ask someone to show up. And at the same time, many of those folks will rarely volunteer a single red cent to even out the dramatic income inequality that is so common in American society. You know, having said that, I have to admit that as I was writing those two paragraphs, preparing for this sermon, I was nervous that I might offend someone. But then the more I thought about it, the more I came to this conclusion, that I actually hope I offended everyone with at least one thing, including myself, 
Because that's what Jesus' own remarkable answer is really meant to do. He's calling you and me out. No matter where we are on the political spectrum, he's calling us out. He refuses to pick a side. He won't fit the way we want him to fit. He won't let one side sit there comfortably while they dishonor the government. And he won't let one side sit there scolding the other. He expects both sides to repent of their conveniently cultivated blind spots. And he expects them to begin to legitimately honor the governing authorities that God has established. Jesus won't let anyone get away from giving the government anything less than what the government is owed. But Jesus won't let anyone get away with giving the government more than it is owed either. The thing is, I mean, who would have that problem? We wouldn't do that, would we? I mean, no one would give the government more than it's due, right? I mean, tell me, do you know a single person who has too high an opinion of their elected officials? Do you know anyone who doesn't just follow the rules the government makes, but also adds some extra rules on top just because? And have you heard of anyone who pays their tax return and then sends a few hundred dollars extra just to help the country out, which did you know is something you can actually do? No one gives to government more than it is due, right? But this is where we have to pick up on the second half of Jesus' remarkable answer to the Pharisees. He not only says, give to Caesar what is Caesar's, he also says, give to God what is God's. And what that means is this, for all that the government does by God's institution and as God's arm and his representative representative in this world, for all the benefits of civilization that we enjoy, things that George Washington called the benign influence of good laws under a free government, for all those rich blessings of God's common providence over all humankind, we actually owe God even more. See, we owe God not just our obedience as to an authority, we owe God our worship. We owe God a place in our lives that no one and nothing else can possibly occupy. We owe him the position of being our God, the one person on whom we are ultimately dependent on every last thing. So with that in mind, do you think that maybe, just maybe, in a world where politics has become everything and appeared everywhere, that it might be possible to actually give the government and its politics more than what is due, to give to Caesar what really belongs to God. For example, do you think it's possible to give our sense of peace and security to the government? Yes, the government provides our outward security, but I'm talking about our inner sense of security. Do we ever act as if foreign affairs aren't managed the way I want them to be managed, or the economy isn't managed the way I want it to be managed, or the pandemic isn't managed the way I want it to be managed? Then I will cave in and even participate in the fear-mongering so common in in the culture of today's extremism. Is it possible, do you think, to give our hope to the government as well, to believe that if a presidential election or congressional vote or Supreme Court nomination doesn't go the way you hope it does, that your lives and the lives of your children and their children after them really are truly and hopelessly ruined? Do your words and your actions and your emotions ever betray a sense that in your heart, your only hope really is in 
economic policy, or legal opinion? Is it really true that the only way to have a satisfying life is one in which your political views hold the day in the law court and the halls of Congress? Is it possible, do you think, to give our joy to the government? To think that if things aren't going my way, then I need to rebel. To feel that if someone disagrees with me, that I've been defiled. To conclude that if the situation is fraught, then what it really needs right now is for me to fill the air with even more of the anger and outrage already polluting it. So tell me, do your words, actions, and emotions reveal to you that you have maybe rendered unto Caesar the joy that you are to render only unto God? And is it possible, and most dangerously really, to give our status and reputation, even our righteousness to the government? Could it be that the signs we stake in our yards and the statuses we post on social media aren't actually about doing real good for real people, out of real love, in real mercy, through thick and thin? That really they're just about looking good in the eyes of others? Do we use such things to make it clear to the people whose praise we really want to have that we're on the right side, we're on their side, that we're not one of those racists or one of those bigots? We're not one of those greedy capitalists or one of those naive socialists. We're not one of those fascists or one of those snowflakes. And do we ever scroll through Facebook and Instagram or surf from CNN to MSNBC just in order to have someone or something to turn up our nose at in a sense of self-righteous superiority? Friends, is it possible that maybe, just maybe, we have taken what we owe to God and given it to the government? Is it possible that we are willing participants in a grievous form of idolatry that has looked to kings and princes in times past and now looks to presidents, presidents and justices to be the givers of what only God can give? See, Jesus is happy to be an equal opportunity offender on this. He refuses to pick a side. And in so doing, he is once again the stone on which we stumble, the mirror that shows us our own sin. He expects everyone, no matter their political preferences, to honor government and to worship God, and Jesus leaves no other choice. But the thing is, Jesus, of all the people, has earned the right to be so thoroughly offensive, to so thoroughly step on our toes. In fact, everything about Jesus embodies the difference between how God, by his very nature, does things and how government, often our replacement God, by its very nature, does things. See, we owe God worship just by the bare facts of who God is. He made us and he preserves us. But God never intended that our relationship with him be as straightforwardly transactional as that. It's not really about who's got power over whom. God doesn't want to collect a debt No, in his grace and mercy, he has been willing to win our worship. Even though he owed us nothing, even though all we are and have belongs to him, and even though our sinful nature and shameful conduct justly deserve condemnation that never ends, even then God was willing to win our worship by giving us all his greatest goods as a free gift. God sent his Son for all people no matter their perspective, 
no matter their politics. He did that to win people from every side. And among the ways Jesus did this was by living perfectly in our place. He honored government the way none of us can, perfectly. He worshiped God the way none of us can, perfectly. Jesus took on the verdict rendered against sin, my sin and yours, and the sentence that all of us had earned. He submitted himself even to a shameful, torturous death for crimes he did not commit, carrying sins he did not display. And because he did this in holy mercy as a willing sacrifice, he was raised from the dead by the Holy Spirit. And then, and this is so important, he was seated on a throne. He was elected, not by the electoral college or the popular vote, but by his father to be king and to rule over all things for the good of his people. Jesus is Lord and king and savior of all, not just of Republicans, not just of Democrats, not just of the moderates either, not just for the coastal elites and the red flyover states. Jesus is Lord and King and Savior of all. And because that is precisely the case, we get to hear some good news about politics and government that I'm guessing, in fact, I'm guaranteeing you will not hear anywhere else. No matter how the coming election turns out, we're going to be okay. Our peace, our security, our joy, our hope, our status, our righteousness, our eternity, these things will not be affected in any way by the next president or who controls the Senate or who's nominated to the Supreme Court because they are not in the hands of government. They are in the hands of Jesus Christ and he is king and he is Lord and he is savior not Caesar. So yeah, we're just 37 days away from the next election. And I'll tell you this, it's the least important election of our lifetimes, just like all the ones that came before it and all the ones that will come after it. Amen. Now the peace of God which passes all understanding, guard and keep your hearts and minds through faith in Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Save your people, Lord, and bless your inheritance. Govern and uphold them now and always. Day by day we bless you. We praise your name forever. Keep us today, Lord, from all sin. Have mercy on us, Lord, have mercy. Lord, show us your love and mercy, for we have put our trust in you. In you, Lord, is our hope. Let us never be put to shame. The Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face shine on us. May God bless us still so that all the ends of the earth will fear him.